You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Let's Pharmanize, a proud member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm Mickey Ferguson. I'm Shane Gerritsen. And I'm Cal Vandegrift. Today, we're going to be discussing Mass Effect. And the genophage from Mass Effect. All that and whatever they said on Let's Harmonize. Why'd you make your voice sound like that? Yeah. Hello. Hello. Welcome, Mickey Ferguson. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The views and opinions expressed within are those of the authors and speakers themselves and do not necessarily represent any affiliated institution or third party. So I have played all the Mass Effect games, one through three, part of Andromeda. Loved them. You guys have had some experience with the Mass Effect games, haven't you? I told you this once. I played the second half of Mass Effect 2 and the, like, the whole game of Andromeda. So backwards. Which is, yeah, it's Wait, awful. how did you play the second half of, of it? I don't know. I wasn't really following the story. How did you get past the first half? I don't know. <laughs> I did, though. I don't even remember what... I just remember the terrible, terrible game that I played. You thought Mass Effect 2 was a terrible game? No, 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 no. Andromeda. Oh, okay, okay. No, yeah. yeah. No, I played the second half of Mass Effect 2. That's what I'm wondering. Because, like, yeah, my brother... Like, don't, doesn't that one... I don't know. I, I started on a late... I don't know. Wasn't that the game that you could co-op or something like that? Yeah, you could co-op on Mass Effect 2, I no, think. you can't co-op on Mass Effect Are you 2. sure? What? There's multiplayer in Mass Effect 3. Maybe it was Ma- has second half of Mass Effect 3. Okay. And I don't know if it played hmm. 2 then. I thought that was like one of the big features Mickey? for 2. <laughs> I haven't played 2. That's why I'm... Okay, well, what's the best one? Uh, remastered edition, legendary editions coming out on the 14th, nine days from today, the day of this recording, and only like a few days after the day that you're going to be listening to this, dear sweet listeners. Today we're talking about the genophage from Mass Effect. Mass Effect is a series of action role-playing games that takes place about 200 years in the future in our galaxy, which we inhabit with several other sentient species. You play Commander Shepard, whose gender and backstory is decided by you, the player. And your main goal of the series is to protect the galaxy from a species of sentient machines who routinely cleanse all organic life every 50,000 years. There are dozens of really cool, fascinating alien species in the Mass Effect universe, but today we're only going to be talking about three. The Krogans, who are the most important to today's topic, the Salarians, and the Turians. Of course there's humans in the universe too, but they're not really relevant to this discussion. Let's talk about the Turians first. The Turians are a race of highly disciplined and militaristic bipedal aliens. Didn't waste any time getting to work, I see. After what I've been through lately, calibrating a giant gun is a vacation. Gives me something to focus on. We're gonna need you for more than your aim. Oh, I'm ready for it. But I'm pretty sure we'll still need giant guns. And lots of them. They stand a little over six feet tall and have a sleek exoskeleton, giving them insect-like mandibles. And they're kind of like a weird combination of a velociraptor, a praying mantis, and a human. They're super cool, though, and were the first alien race discovered by the humans. And the Turians have a very shoot-first, ask-questions-later mentality. So much easier to see the world in black and white. Gray. 
I don't know what to do with gray. Next up, the Salarians. Warm-blooded amphibian creatures, the Salarians are probably the most scientifically advanced of the major races in the universe, and unlike the Turians, prefer to solve their problems peacefully. And if that doesn't go well, they resort to espionage and assassination. Shepard, how can I help? Have you got a minute to talk? Yes, good timing, in fact. Excellent. Made breakthrough. Can share results while next samples grow. Hate waiting for culture analysis. Never fast enough. Usually no result in advance. Just checking work. Have to be careful. You guys remember what Salarians look like? Yeah, they always creep um, me out because they always look like slimy and goopy. I recognize it now that I see a picture of it. They were some of my favorites. I liked them. I think that they've got a cool look because they're designed to sort of embody what humans' typical illustrations of aliens are. Because they've got like the big heads that are narrow at the bottom, like at the chin, and then the big eyes, like the big disc eyes. Then you get to the yeah, toad people, Krogans. And yeah, the, the Krogans were actually really cool. I liked the Kro- oh, I liked all of them. I liked. I thought they were all so cool. So the Turians' military aggressiveness and the Salarians' scientific talents will have a major impact on events in the universe, and we're about to find out. Finally, the Krogans. Krogans are massive, aggressive brutes, considered primitive by many of the more technologically advanced species of the universe. Standing over seven feet tall, Krogans resemble a cross between a prehistoric alligator and a snapping turtle on two legs. Tuchunka may be a pile of radioactive rubble, but it's our pile, and we'll fight the last Krogan to keep it that way. Biologically, their most unique attribute is that of redundant organ systems. They have two hearts, four lungs, four testicles in the men, and a backup nervous system. This sounds ridiculous, I know, especially the multiple hearts part, but there are species on Earth that have multiple hearts. Squids and some other cephalopods have three hearts, and there's even a very rare heart transplant procedure wherein instead of fully replacing the human heart, they attach the donor heart to the native heart, like a piggyback. Kind of like a traditional kidney transplant. The alternative nervous system is getting to me. What does that mean? It's a liquid nervous system, as described, and I wasn't going to, like, detail it because it's, I mean, it's, it's fictional. It's an right, alien. Right, right, But they've got, like a, like, a, like, a liquid, transductive liquid nervous system in addition to, like, a regular traditional fiber nervous system. Seems legit. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. So, uh, like, the heart transplant thing, this is required in cases wherein the patient's heart problems cause extremely high blood pressure in the pulmonary artery. This isn't really relevant, but I thought it was really cool and interesting, and if you guys didn't know about it, I wanted to share it. So now the relevant history. About 2,000 years ago, the Salarians and the Asari, a race I didn't mention earlier because they're not super relevant here, have accidentally stumbled upon the Rachni, a species of hyper-intelligent hive mind insects. You guys remember the Rachni? Were they like the, kind of like the Flood from Halo? They're kind of like the Flood, yeah. Yeah, the circle things? Is that, that No, never mind. What? Does it look like a shrimp? Kind of, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, they do kind of look like shrimp. Okay. Like big cockroach no, no, no. shrimp monsters. Yeah. have to look it up. Yeah, Google it. Uh, so yeah, so oh yeah, yeah, yeah it's the yeah, shrimp yeah, one. Yeah, they're cool. The Rachni, a species of hyper-intelligent hive mind insects, they look like giant spider shrimp, but very scary. So begin the Rachni Wars. The Rachni essentially declare war on the entire galaxy and are very hard to kill since the worlds they inhabit become toxic and their massive city-sized nests are labyrinthine and deadly. Things are looking pretty grim for almost 100 years as the Rachni develop their own faster-than-light travel and begin invading nearby star systems. When the Salarians get the bright idea, hey, remember that race of giant reptilian behemoths that we've intentionally avoided thus far? Let's recruit them in a war against the Rachni and use them as cannon fodder. Everyone kind of shrugs and says, what the hell, nothing else. 
else's work, so the Council makes contact with the primitive Krogan, giving them weapons, supplies, and food, because prior to this, Krogans had nuked their own planet into a dystopia, and the Krogan are so good at killing Rachni that within the next 200 years or so, the Rachni are declared extinct. After this, the Council, in their gratitude, gives the Krogan a new homeworld so they can leave their own nuclear winter on Tachanka. Over the next three centuries, Krogan expansion booms. The Salarians help to them stabilize the radioactive environment on Tachanka, and there's nothing keeping the population in check. Krogans begin invading nearby planets, and the Council is not pleased with this. They order the Krogan to cut it out, and the Krogan overlord, Kredak, dares the Citadel Alliance to try and take their worlds back. Obviously, they do this, and the war commences yet again. Only this time, there's a new player in the ring. The Turians have recently made first contact, and their military prowess makes them a strong ally for the Citadel. I've been raised to see Krogan as bloodthirsty thugs, but you've surprised me, Rex. You are different. The Genophage is a lot easier to swallow when all Krogan are savage monsters, isn't it? Why don't you head back to the Normandy, kid? If you stay here in the real world, you might have to learn something. The Salarians are tasked by the Council to design a biological weapon to quell the numbers of the Krogan for good. The Salarians create the Genophage. Had to be done. Brachni wars, Krogan rebellions all pointed to Krogan aggression. So many simulations. Effects of Krogan population increase all pointed to war. Extinction. Genophage or genocide. Save galaxy from Krogan. Save Krogan from galaxy. The Genophage is why we're here today. Yes, 800 words was the quickest way we could get here. <laughs> the genophage comes from the Latin geno, meaning give birth or to bring forth, and phage, meaning eater or to eat. This is a bioweapon designed exclusively to cull the expanding Krogan race, dispersed via the same device given by the Salarians to cleanse the radioactive environment on their home planet. It functions not by sterilizing the Krogans, but by reducing the percentage of viable births to almost nothing. Out of a thousand births, only one infant would survive. The rest would either miscarry or be a stillbirth. It is mentioned by the Krogan that it's the nervous system that is affected by the genophage. The genophage is also hereditary. Any Krogan who does manage to survive childbirth will bear the genetic defect and give this to their own offspring if they are able to procreate themselves. This genophage lasts through generations, and at the time of the events of Mass Effect has been affecting the Krogan race for 1400 years. Krogans also have a lifespan of about a thousand years, but by this point war and constant infighting has reduced the Krogan population to critically low numbers. So now we've set the stage. What are your initial thoughts or theories on the genophage and what its mechanism may be? Does it affect all members or just females? I guess we can assume that it affects both males and females. Okay. I don't know. It has to be some kind of like, like assuming that Krogan biology works similar to human biology. It's got to be some kind of like nucleoside analog or something that like blocks um, transcription or translation for the genes for the nervous system, I would think. That's really solid. This okay. was in Mass Effect 3, right? This was in all of them. All of them? Yeah, this was yeah. like a Okay, I'm, I'm starting to remember what this is. I got to... I need a big old refresher, though. Come to my house because I've already pre-ordered I guess, the, yeah, uh, I guess so. I pre-ordered the yeah, Legendary Edition. Yeah, let's have a party. Just watch me play Mass Alive. Effect for 60 yeah. hours, because that's how long it will take. Live play-by-play -play of Shane playing Mass Effect I'll, I'll stream it. I'll stream it. You I better can. play Every Path Renegade, or I will riot. I like the Paragon choices. Why? There's some fun Renegade options, but I, I typically go Paragon. I'm a goody two-shoes. Okay. <laughs> Typical. So there's some conflicting lore in the game, and this kind of bothers me. Mentioning Krogan's giving birth to live young, as well as the existence of Krogan eggs. 
There's some hot, ongoing debates in the Mass Effect fandom on how exactly Krogan females give birth, and whether or not they're capable of oviviparity, or placental birth. For the purposes of this discussion, we're going to be applying the genophage to human biology, because Krogan biology would be very complicated to try and discuss, so we're going to stick with what we know and extrapolate that to Krogan's. You'll recall earlier that I mentioned that the genophage doesn't cause sterility or infertility necessarily, but rather affects the development of the fetus. To hypothesize possible avenues to do this, we must first have an understanding of the stages of fetal development. We're going to fast forward past conception, fertilization, and implantation, since we know what those steps kind of are. Just a quick reminder, implantation does not happen immediately after conception. Right. It needs a few days. I mean, it's a few days is pretty quick. Still not immediate. Right. It's a relevant distinction for some people. True. Okay. So the embryo <laughs> begins to form nerve cells really early. They're some of the earliest cells to develop, but about three weeks is when this starts. So the outermost tissue of the embryo is called the ectoderm. The way the nervous system forms is first a groove forms on the dorsal surface of the embryo. This groove deepens and tissues on each side, like waves moving toward each other, meet in the middle, and the neural tube is formed. Could you visualize that? A little. So you're making like I'm a donut. Kind of like a donut. Now a donut. I'm going to show you to see if it makes sense. So this is the, the top of the, the fetus. It sort of makes a groove like this and then like folds in on itself like that, and that's the tube. Oh, so you're just making a taco. So, so it's like, like it, it's a tube. It's not a donut, it's a taco. But it's closed. A, a burrito. But it doesn't like wrap around. And that's where the a spinal cord forms. Okay. Eventually. Not yet. In the burrito of the child. And <laughs> that's the technical term for it, yeah. Yeah, the burrito. So... Neural tube development is where many congenital defects occur today in humans, resulting in conditions like spina bifida and microcephaly. This would be the only feasible target for the Solarians because it could theoretically have longevity and be hereditary and thus affect future generation of Krogan. Spina bifida is too survivable and doesn't match the rates of 1 in 1,000 viable pregnancies allegedly caused by the genophage. You'll probably never hear spina bifida described as too survivable anywhere else. The most logical goal would be anencephaly. Anencephaly is a very rare neural tube defect in which a major portion of the brain and skull are absent because they do not develop. Researching for this topic brought me to some really dark, dark places, but it's important to have an understanding of these things so we can emphasize the importance of prenatal care. The development of an embryo to a fetus to a baby is amazing and so overwhelmingly complex, yet it's also oddly delicate. A lot of things have to go right for this process to take place with no issues. And now, a word from our sponsor. Probably a bad sign. Anyone else hungry? No. You might want to keep comments like that to yourself, Grunt. Grogans are unpopular enough already. Back to the Solarians. I'd like to make it clear that the Solarians had no intention of actually releasing the genophage. They hoped that the fear of the weapon would be enough to get the Krogans to stand down. It was the Turians who actually released the genophage, not actually realizing the impact it would have on future generations of Krogans. Or maybe they did realize it and they just didn't care. They were kind of brutal like that. In cases of anencephaly, in many cases the exact etiology is unknown. There have been some observations made by researchers, however, that when folic acid supplementation became the norm for prenatal support, worldwide cases of anencephaly declined sharply. I think this would be the most likely target for a bioweapon. The issue is, how do you stop the folic acid production in a Krogan without disrupting their own health? 
Since the Krogan endure no ill effects from the genophage other than the infant mortality, the genophage likely doesn't cause a reduction in overall folic acid. I struggled for a really, really long time on this topic because it's really complex and a lot of it is way over my head, and I really didn't want to debunk Mass Effect. I wanted the science to be plausible. I like the sound of that. But with folate being the only plausible target, it just kept being impossible to affect the folate with the fetal development without also affecting the folate of the mother. You could block the placental folate transporters, but those transporters are also the same exact transporters that bring folate to the brain of the mother. You could block absorption to dietary folate, but that also affects the mother. You could affect a placental-specific protein like syncytin-1, key in the formation of the placenta, but that wouldn't have the same outcome. Even affecting the pH of the placenta, which modulates the uptake of folate, but you can't do that without affecting the physiological pH of the mother. It looked like I was getting nowhere and I was starting to get discouraged and was considering contacting the writers of Mass Effect to complain. But then I found something. All of my theories involved getting the drug to the body where it affects only the fetus. What if instead they delivered the weapon only to the baby via the placenta? Nanoparticles are a not-so-new technology. 1995 was the first approved nanoparticle drug, Doxyl, a formulation of doxorubicin for Kaposi sarcoma. Drugs encapsulated or bound to nanoparticles have a few excellent benefits in terms of treatment and pharmacokinetics within the body, for example, as we've seen with the most contemporary modern example of the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. I knew they were mRNA, I didn't yeah, know they were in, particles. they're encapsulated in a lipid particle. I thought it was just like floating in there. No, it's, it has to be in, a, in the lipid nanoparticle. Oh, because yeah, it gets, it gets otherwise it would get degraded. Yeah. So that's okay. how it, it gets into the cell. Did you consider maybe um, in your research of all this that it might have had something more to do with like, um, like isn't it prostaglandin? That's that's interesting, but no, I didn't consider prostaglandin. Okay, well, maybe you should have. Maybe I should have. But uh, we're, we're like barely halfway through. Okay, we're on page sorry. three of six. Jesus so, Christ. Uh, so the lipid nanoparticle in which the mRNA is encapsulated protects the delicate protein blueprint from enzymes that would otherwise degrade the vaccine. In terms of drug delivery exploiting the placenta, the functional physiological barriers of the placenta can serve to delineate treatment in three directions. The mother, the placenta itself, and the fetus. The placenta is not just a wet meatloaf, it's an immensely complex, and there's lots of advanced unique cells and receptors and mechanisms going on. I know we didn't just call it a wet meatloaf. I'm saying it's not a wet meatloaf. Well, of course. Well, there's this, a lot of things in the universe that aren't a wet meatloaf. The only meatloaf. thing that is a wet meatloaf is wet meatloaf. You know, prior to this, I thought the placenta was just like a wet meatloaf. <laughs> what? It's like this spider, like, drapey thing. That, we like, it's used, like a wet meat disc. It's like a big, like, flat lasagna. We have used wet meatloaf five times in this conversation, and that is five too many times to use the term wet meatloaf. It's like a round lasagna. Jesus Christ. It, it's like a, yeah, I, I would say that's probably a more apt description. It's like a flesh lasagna. Okay. I don't so like any of this. So we're, uh, we're in agreement. It's a, yes. wet, it's a round, wet lasagna. So, I'm disturbed by this conversation. Who likes dry lasagna? True, I wouldn't want to eat a dry lasagna. So it's immensely complex. It's it's also home to one of the few multinucleated cells in the human body. The synctiotrophoblasts are a continuous layer of specialized epithelial tissue lining portions of the placenta that contact the mother's blood. Do you know what other cells in the human body are multinucleated? They're the ones that form granulomas. I want to say those. That's a good example. Those are very specialized too. And then also... There's like just a few others. There may be more than exist, but only a few come to mind. Yeah. So there's osteoclasts. Those are multinucleated. Those are multinucleated. Huh. Muscle fiber cells are multinucleated. Technically, yes. 
Technically, I mean, <laughs> begrudgingly. There was one other one that I can't remember, but there's not a lot. Most of them are not multinucleated. Now, this uh, is interesting, and I think this is key to understand in regards to blood circulation through the placenta. The mother and fetus do not actually share a direct blood supply. I did not know this prior to reading about this topic, but it makes sense. Did you guys know this? That they don't share a blood supply? Yeah. Yeah, that's why if you're RH positive and your baby's RH negative, why it doesn't do weird Quite things. Late. I think it's the other way around. I think if your baby's RH positive and the mother's RH negative, that can cause some problems uh, if the placenta doesn't stay intact completely. Right, yeah. So this just didn't like click for me until like reading this. I thought, like, I don't know. I don't know nearly enough about fetal development to even speculate on That's that. That's really sad because your mom is like a neonatal doctor. Yeah, she, and like for years growing up, she would just like say these awesome, brilliant things. And I'd be like, okay. Oh. Huh? She like wrote a paper on spina bifida and I didn't know what spina bifida was until like after pharmacy school started. Man, I need to read your mom's paper on spina bifida. Yeah, I'd be interested to read it too. Were you too busy washing the dishes? <laughs> Hey, seven twenty-five an hour. <laughs> Come over here. <laughs> you know, honestly, it's not entirely wrong. But anyways, Calvin, read this paper about spina bifida. Sorry, oh, I gotta wash these dishes. <laughs> Get so, those dishes. when you got home from do your job at the, as a dishwasher, did you come home and then wash the dishes as well? <laughs> oh hell no. <laughs> So you can't stop toxins from entering a region of the body without epithelial barriers of some kind. The placenta serves in part almost like a dialysis machine through which nutrients and oxygen pass towards the fetus and waste passes towards the mother. Back to drugs and a quick pop quiz. Which immunoglobulins cross the placenta? That would be IgG. Calvin, is that correct? Yes. It is correct. Very okay, good. IgG. Yeah. You put a lot of faith in his answer. It's also <laughs> the longest lasting of all the antibodies. I think you're right. Longest half-life. Yep. Yeah. I should know I had to take a whole course on it. So good job. Yeah. Did you know, do you know how immunoglobulins compare in terms of size to small molecule drugs? IgG specifically is about 150 kilodaltons, which is about 500 times larger than thalidomide, for example, which we know readily busts through the placenta. Size does play a part in accessing the placenta, and the way IgG so readily gets across is by activating the MHC receptors, which is major histocompatibility complex, right? That's what that stands for? Correct. Okay, that's one example of possible drug target exploitation. Another example is the PGP-mediated efflux pumps in the trophoblasts. These pumps continuously flush xenobiotics out of the placenta and back into the mother's circulation. So coating drug molecules in PGP-targeting molecules would be an excellent way to treat the mother without affecting the fetus. Hmm. There are other exploitable methods of drug targeting via the placenta, but one stood out to me, and there's the activation of MHC by immunoglobulin. As we know, monoclonal antibodies have been seeing a massive boon over the past few years in their success in treating things from inflammatory bowel disease to cancer to arthritis and recently to COVID-19. They're only going to continue to grow for years to come. Not only are monoclonal antibodies incredibly versatile as drugs themselves, but they can be utilized in drug delivery. They're being studied in cancer as ways to deliver drugs, small molecule drugs, to specific receptors expressed by cancer cells. So I know this has been a lot of information. And now that I've laid the foundation, I want to present my theory for how the Solarians conducted the genophage. Remember, that is why we're here. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. We have the meats. <laughs> we have the wet meatloaf. I'm done. <laughs> I am so done. A monoclonal delivery system would be the most logical method 
to deliver drug directly to the placenta. With the model, with a model capable of affecting with a MAB, with a MAB capable of affecting the unique MHC1 molecule polymorphs on the epithelial tissue of the placenta. The monoclonal antibody, which I will henceforth call MAB, will be carrying a drug that will interrupt the folic acid DNA synthesis pathway, thus causing a neural tube defect. The ideal drug in this situation, which would interrupt two pathways that intersect, the purine synthesis pathway and the methionine recycling pathway, would be dihydrofolate reductase, an enzyme which, as its name implies, reduces dihydrofolate into tetrahydrofolate. A drug that would do something like this, intentionally interrupting this super important pathway, obviously doesn't exist, or is a toxin of some kind, certainly not a drug that has any potential pharmaceutical benefit, right? Sure. A dihydrofolate reductase inhibitor? Yeah. Pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's We use that. Yeah. Do you know what it is? Dihydrofolate reductase. Um, THP reductase. Folate drugs. Oh, is no. that like, oh, mm, finasteride? No, that's a different thing. I don't think it's finasteride. Isn't that like 5A reductase inhibitor? Yeah, that's 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. Um, God knows. There is a... I know it. What? You, I hate you because I know this. I have to know this. Don't this, Google it. I have to. Get your fingers I, off the keyboard. I'm doing it right now. It's trimethoprim. Oh, yeah. Because that, that's how it like wiggles its way. That's not, that's not what I was going to guess. Bacteria. I'll be honest with you. Bound to the MAB, trimethoprim would Trojan horse its way into the placenta and cause mayhem and inhibit the pathway, bringing the neural tube development to a halt. This drug could also be aerosolized and pumped out using the shroud onto Chanka. Now, there are several problems with this theory, as some very specific things have to take place in order for the genophage to be successful. One, it would have to be unthinkably massive quantities. Tachanka is a little bit larger than Earth, and there would have to be enough drug to fill the atmosphere. Considering that the drug is lightly a little heavier than air, you'd still need enough drug to fill a few hundred million cubic kilometers of atmosphere. And this drug would need to be continuously manufactured and pumped out every day. So we're talking an operation that would cost trillions of space dollars daily. Using this method, the Krogans could cure themselves of the genophage by simply leaving the planet. Based on this information and the immense cost of this undertaking and the flaws in the plan, I'm going to give this a C for realism. If the writers had been more clear on the method of genetic alteration, this may have received a higher grade for me. I think it's plausible that a specific gene could be targeted that code only for placental folate, but I couldn't find one that was plentiful in other areas of the body. Before we keep going, what do you guys think of the grade so far, a C? I'd give it an F. Okay. Yeah. D, D plus. Like for for realism, like it's an F. Um, but it, we're also dealing with space aliens. The thing so. about it is, even at the trimethoprim doses that you're talking about, would that cause fetal, just a, an elimination of the, of the fetus in 99.9% of, of the population like it would against the, the what, whatever they're called? I don't know. What are, what are these people called? The Krogans? Yeah, that one. Yeah. It would have to be a massive dose, and they'd have to be continuously receiving what, the dose. That's what it is, right? One out of every 1,000. Yeah, one out of 1,000. Yeah, so 99.9% .9 of, of the babies would not survive. Yeah. I mean, I'm not talking about Krogan biology here, but I mean, I'm just saying, it seems like even at really high trimethoprim doses, I, I, still, I still think that more than 99.9% .9 of babies would survive. Hmm. I didn't, I'm not thinking about the LD100 of trimethoprim for fetuses, but... It's certainly not the most toxic teratogen, but if it's delivered directly to the placenta via the monoclonal antibody... It's not good. It, no matter what, it's no not way. good. Definitely not. I also but don't know how you'd make an aerosolized monoclonal antibody. They can do it. They've been studying it in monkeys. Well, shut so that down. So we should return to monkey is what you're saying. Yeah, we need to go back to monkey. 
<laughs> it only works for monkeys. Yeah. So Oonga Boonga. just another reason that I'd want to go back to monkey, not just for a banana. So yeah, I think it's plausible that a specific gene could be targeted that would code only for placental folate, but I couldn't find one that wasn't plentiful in other areas of the body, like I said, with the placental folate and then the brain folate as well. All right, if this were the case, then perhaps the monoclonal antibody could deliver a viral vector. I know we're combining two drug delivery methods here, but with entry into the placenta so immensely complicated, perhaps it would be necessary. I don't know if this drug mechanism is plausible. I'd imagine it'd be difficult, as the monoclonal antibody drug delivery system relies on intramolecular forces between the drug molecule and the antibody. Plus, the virion would be like 10 times the size of the antibody. However, alternatively, some viruses, such as SARS-CoV-2 that we've all grown to know and love, display protein structures on their surfaces. If an adenovirus vector were able to display proteins that effectively mimicked the IgG that activated the placental MHC1 polymorph, the adenovirus could be taken up into the cell. There are viral vectors like Zolgensma that deliver DNA that actually incorporates itself into your own DNA, which Zolgensma does not do. Zolgensma, if you'll remember, the DNA piece just kind of chills in the nucleus and then does its job from there. There's another drug, uh, a few other drugs, but Luxturna is one of few gene therapies that actually modifies your DNA, fixing defective genes. Luxturna is indicated for retinitis pigmentosa. Yeah, that's the congenital blindness one, right? That's like yeah. six, something crazy, like $400,000 or $600,000 per eye. Yeah, it's another one of the super expensive ones. So this method could solve the problem of continuous dosing. However, I don't know if this would be passed down to offspring. This is something that I have no idea of. I, if any of our listeners, um, Addy, if you're listening and you know anything about this, because you love to correct our episode, you can tell us if you've heard of this. If the lore in Mass Effect had leaned in this direction or given any more evidence of this possibility, or perhaps uh, if I just knew more about it, I could give the game a higher grade. Mass Effect for me has always been one of my favorite sci-fi fantasy universes. I honestly, I love it more than Star Wars. Even though the lore of the genophage doesn't fare well on our patented Let's Farmanize approval system, it's been really fun to spend this time reading about and analyzing one of my favorite video game series of all times. What do you guys think? Viral vector or folate disruption? Viral vector would be easier to do. Okay. I'm still on the folate one, be honest. I see that. I just think that's a little bit more plausible. If there were, like I said, I, I'd have to look at other, because a lot of these genes, they code for multiple things. So if you're going to affect a gene, you'd have to find one that's specific enough to only code for something that's affecting folate in the, in the placenta or, or in the fetus, Yeah. which is going to be really hard because it's likely going to be coding for folate somewhere else in the body as well. I think if, if, we, if I gave the folate uh, D plus, I guess you could give the vector one like a C minus, but I'm still not feeling, I don't like that one either. I mean, it just doesn't seem very plausible. I mean, if we consider combination drugs, like we could have a, a viral vector that codes for like a wonky IgG antibody that when you co-administer it with another drug carries that drug into the placenta hmm. and it would, wouldn't be active because it's bound to that IgG until it gets the placenta and that drops it off. Hmm. But that would require like a combination of things. So a viral vector that codes for a protein that makes trimethoprim already bound to an IgG that then carries it into the placenta. You're just talking about bioavailability going down and down and down for every extra piece you put into this. And that's why I have the biggest issue with it. Bioavailability to the mother needs to be as low as possible right. to fit the, well, the right. story. Because we've got like those couple of parameters that we need to keep in mind. It's affecting the nervous system. It doesn't affect the mother and it's genetic. So far, we haven't been able to match the genetic aspect because I don't, I, I really, I'd be interested to find out if things that 
change your genes are passed down genetically. I, I don't know enough about genetics to even hypothesize I'm about just, that. I'm glad that we are, we're not immediately coming up with an answer to kill a bunch of babies. I think that's a good idea. The reason I mentioned the prostaglandins before I got shot down was because I was thinking about something like misoprostol. And misoprostol acts on some sort of prostaglandin inhibition pathway. See, the thing about misoprostol is that it's a different mechanism of abortion. It's, it in, induces labor. Yeah, it like hastens cervical ripening or something like that. Yeah. Right, which is so why you can use you, it. It would only be possible in a very specific time of gestation, which would be like, yeah. well, it would induce if it's present across the entire planet. I mean, right, it would induce an abortion, but it's not going to affect the nervous system in the same way that this particular drug does. So that would be an effective genophage. But it could, so you did a better job oh, thinking great. up a way to kill fetuses than we did. Good, that's, that's great. Good. I'm glad. Excellent. Yay me. <laughs> Can we get a Miss Vandergrift on the line? Um, Talk to your son. I hate myself. I really feel like if these these other alien species wanted to, they could have done this a little bit better than they did. I mean, it was effective, I guess, in, in this reality. What, but... Whatever happened to nukes? Well, there was this one time the Turians almost wiped out our entire race. That was fun. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to keep up with our episodes and content. And special thanks to Kelly Kerr for making our music. I should go. <laughs>